0: I guess there are some signs of the business career, you know, probably as early as where I started a bank in elementary school.
1: Or did a bank in elementary school? Well,
0: well, (laughs) we'll, Well, wait till you hear the next part. Top leaders.
1: Meaningful conversation. Actionable advice. Bulldoze complacency. Ignite inspiration. Create impact. Produced by Southwestern family of companies. This is the Action Catalyst.
0: Are you interested in advertising with The Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com.
1: Welcome to The Action Catalyst. This is your host, Adam Outland. And today we get to meet the amazing Atif Rafiq. He has been a C-suite leader at McDonald's, Volvo, and MGM, held roles at Yahoo, AOL, Audible, and Goldman Sachs. He's had a 25-year career spanning Silicon Valley and the Fortune 500, and he's developed innovative approaches to leadership and management. And in his book, Decision Sprint, The New Way to Innovate into the Unknown and Move from Strategy to Action, he describes a lot of these strategies. We'll unpack some of these lessons from the book and from his experience. Welcome to the program. Hello, hello. If it's okay with you, Atif, I'd, I'd love to start way earlier and in your career than even your bio suggests. I, I wanted to hear what, what is the makeup of this person who's had a very illustrious career in C-suite roles in their professional life? Where, where did this journey start for you? I mean, were you just fired up in high school about being a future executive?
0: Well, if we want to roll all the way back, I guess there are some signs of the business career, you know, probably as early as where I started a bank in elementary school and...
1: started a bank in elementary school, <laughs> wait, hold
0: on. Well, 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 <laughs> wait till you hear the next part. It folded in a week. I didn't understand what compound interest was. My classmates did. And when they demanded, you know, their interest back, then I, I folded and I had to borrow the money from my dad. Um, so it was a, a whole scheme around, you know... Using the deposits to buy baseball cards and make some great profits, but uh, it didn't. It, it
1: didn't, didn't turn out.
0: <laughs> in middle school, you know, one of my teachers did. You know, in a parent teacher conference, asked my mom, "Well, what does his dad do for a living?" You know, because he wrote this. Every kid's writing about, you know, things like mm-hmm. wanting to be a movie producer and you know an athlete. And he, he you know, he wrote a paper on the stock market. um, so what does that, that do? It turned out my dad is a small businessman. So that probably, you know, through osmosis, you see a lot of things going on, you know, because especially as a small business person, it's not like you leave the work at home. He probably brought it home on, on his phone calls. Probably the seeds were planted fairly early in, in my childhood. Nature, nurture, it's still an open question.
1: Yeah. What were kind of the natural skills that were already being birthed? I mean, were you just like great with people? Were you really numbers oriented? Well, often you, you
0: don't know what they are till many years later, but you see the signs early. And I think it's probably product orientation, meaning like, what's the big idea? What's the next way? What's sort of the next, uh, trend of a product that, you know, seems interesting and quite isn't yeah mainstream, you know what I mean? And so seeing that need and then trying to to do something about it. And that's probably where it took me, you know, probably even 10 years into my career to realize, oh, I'm actually somewhat good at that. So let me lean into that piece.
1: You know, as you're talking about this, a couple of the bullet points on your book, one of them was the exploration raises unanswered questions and considerations to get to the bottom of things, right? And maybe I read that differently, but I what I saw in that is something about exploration means curiosity, right? It means asking questions and digging, not necessarily having the answers.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's really two interesting things that, you know, you're kind of putting your finger on. One is that what entrepreneurs are really good at is conviction uh, that comes from their vision. If you share this same uh, idea with, you know, 10 other people who are not entrepreneurs, you know, you're likely to see those people have a lot more question marks than confidence, perhaps, you know, you see enough, Uh, But for other people, it's still quite a bit of more questions than clarity. Now, putting it into sort of an organization, you know, I, I think the power of questions has always struck me because the interesting thing about questions is that they can be neutral. They can take you to be for the idea or against the idea. You just don't know. But if you approach them with curiosity, which is kind of an interest to sort of get to the bottom of it, be neutral about the whole thing, the story will probably speak for itself. And so, In companies, what i found is that there's really not a good way to take advantage of this thing because, one, senior people and the more senior you go are expected to, quote-unquote, know the answer. You know, because of the tenure in the company, they feel like they need to take a position, you know, very quickly. Maybe teams feel like, "Hmm, if we don't know the answer is, you know, very upfront, then, you know, are we really proving our worth? And so, they're not given the space for the curiosity they need to really get to the bottom of what could be a promising idea. But of course, as soon as you go one level lower than the promising idea, you see a ton of questions. And so what I've tried to do, especially in my my book, Decision Sprint, is provide teams and companies a way to create space for questions and take action on them.
1: Yeah. So did you feel that curiosity was an early driver for you? I mean, it one of your primary careers that you talked about was Goldman and Sachs. Was it like curiosity that drove you to dig into that?
0: Well, I, I started my career at Goldman Sachs right after college. And, you know, honestly, it wasn't a great fit for me because it was all about transactions and, and numbers. And I didn't really connect with the idea of a transaction as a product. It didn't cut it for me. I made a pivot, you know, very early on. I, I wrote a letter, uh, a snail mail letter to the founder and CEO, AOL. Steve Case, who's a very famous person in the history of the internet, and he actually opened my letter. Uh, gave it to another executive, and I got a call, and I was um, early to the internet, which was a big, big thing break for me because getting involved in a company like AOL before there was a Google, for example, you know that was very meaningful, and I was I was hooked. I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It's going to be about the internet-based, you know, technology. The curiosity did play a factor because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't really know what it meant to work outside, you know, in an industry like that. Um, I didn't know really where the internet was going. So from that perspective, you curiosity did kind of help uh, me get going in my career.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you had a beast, right? AOL was growing. It was huge. There was a lot of complexity. And you ended up in a kind of a corporate development and strategy position. I assume that meant you were overseeing team and already getting kind of building your chops in terms of how you managed and led a process.
0: It was exhilarating and amazing, quite frankly, because um, being, in my view, and I'm very biased here, you know, I think the most meaningful work um, that I I personally connect with is product creation. Yeah, it's really about conceptualizing what is the product, what's the core product, what does it do, you know, what's the differentiation, what's the sweet spot what is enough to get it off the ground and for people to want to say, yeah, let's please make more of that.
1: So what point did you feel, if any, that you hit that career where you were really stretched as an individual and pushed or where you feel like you hit a, a certain breaking point? And what was the lesson from that?
0: Well, one that I would point to is is the pivot from Silicon Valley. I went to you know Yahoo and then Amazon. Very much sort of, uh, familiar setup of an internet company, and this is the product that they make, and this is sort of how we, you know, innovate on the product and manage the business. But I've made the pivot to what you would call traditional companies, meaning their inception is before the age of the internet. They're probably not tech companies, really, but the future of their customer experience or the business model is now profoundly affected by technology, and they need to really probably rewire a lot of the guts of the company around technology. And so I became the first chief digital officer in the history of the Fortune 500. And that was with McDonald's in 2013. And so the wall that I hit was one that was cultural, where people haven't grown up in the Internet age. It's not a digital native company. And it's not as much, okay. what's the latest idea? How do we spin up a team and see if this might, you know, turn into a really high growth machine? It's a different bar for, you know, vetting ideas and committing to them it's it's different coming in from this silicon valley you know you're probably like oh it's obvious this is the next wave let's go all in and let's do it as fast as possible but um, you need to bring other people along and a lot of that is why i wrote the book because rather than say okay well we won't have big ideas and we'll sort of just think small because we that's what we could get buy-in around how do we maintain that high bar for ideas and do it at a quick pace, I had to invent new ways to accomplish that.
1: And so when you came in at this new digital strategy, were there people just looking at you like, what's your job? Like, what are you doing here, man?
0: Like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's to be expected because at that time, you know, Mark Andreessen had just coined the phrase, you know, software is eating the world, but people didn't really know what that meant. And so the challenge was to explain, you know, why does digitization matter to McDonald's? And so the way I approached that, was to put it in familiar terms so i would always uh, start with the same sort of spiel where i would say look mcdonald's over six years has been about three things taste value and convenience and people would nod their heads and agree and the first two i, I can't do anything about with you know what i'm focused on here at the company but the third one convenience that's something we've owned and we want to continue to own that in the future right and everyone would nod their head. And then we'd, the door would be open for the conversation around what, how can digitization make the McDonald's customer experience even better. So there, you know, you overcome some of the question marks by really respecting the heritage of the company and putting what you're doing in familiar terms. So that was step one. The key thing is to take advantage of the collective intelligence around the table. Like, what, what would make this hard? How would it break? What do we need to solve for? And just really make that a specific step in the process I was trying to boot up, where the unknowns are something that we sort of kind of take inventory of, and then we actually spend time getting to the bottom of them. Because we're suspending judgment, we're creating space for what I call exploration, and then we're going to move on to the process of drawing conclusions or coming up with recommendations. When I shifted from Amazon to McDonald's, I tried to bring in Amazon's way of working, especially around a narrative into, into McDonald's for some of our more meaningful ideas. And I found that, you know, obviously it works well at Amazon and it's a culture where everything you're solving, whether it's an operational problem, you know, a marketing problem, or you know, some type of product idea is, uh, has to be distilled into a document. It's a six-page narrative. And it's essentially sort of an investigation of the idea. I tried to bring that into McDonald's, and I couldn't make it work. It was more of a conversational environment, right? Like, more like, oh, let's have a meeting and, and talk about it. So I was even trying to get people comfortable with, here's a pen and draw it on the whiteboard, right? So it was that kind of situation. And um But I was trying different ways to... Uh, kind of nudge people to to think twice, to dig a little deeper, to sort of ask questions, uh, suspend suspend a little judgment until we can do the right fact-finding. You know what I mean? Fast forward five or six years later, and then I, I started to say, well, wow, you know, maybe there is a method for this. And so I would run my meetings in different ways where I would gather the right team and I would ch- share with them a three-step process where I would say, look, you know, our first meeting, going to be this loose sort of brainstorm we're going to whiteboard a lot we're going to raise a lot of the important questions and subject matters and you're going to feel like uh, intimidated by the end of the meeting because because you're going to feel like wow there's just so much we don't know but it's okay I'm going to give you a week and you're going to come back and you're going to put something on the table after a week and that's going to be our second meeting and you're going to actually feel pretty good because you're going to say hey you know we see how this puzzle is starting to fit together and then we're going to we're going to look at it we're going to and tear it apart, we're going to come up with the next wave of things we want to look into, and then we're going to have a third meeting, and you're going to feel, you're going to come in really confident, and you're going to feel like, wow, we really, you know, you really want people to to question you, because you've done your homework, you've done the detective work, you are really smart about every aspect of this, and you can defend the recommendation that you have on the table.
1: And I've been in some of these, you know, meetings as well, where we're kind of trying to figure out the solution to a problem and, you know, are getting a group of partners together to throw things on a whiteboard and brainstorm and trying to get that puzzle sorted and figure out your priorities. When we've done that, there's some times where it's, yeah, per, like we all agree, right? But a lot of times there's people with different opinions. How do you navigate that? How do you sort through that when there is a big disagreement?
0: The number one reason why that happens is what I call alignment before exploration. We have to say, well, have we, at my language, sort of built and run an exploration where we've surfaced the important considerations, especially the unknowns, and have we gotten to the bottom of them? And that can be done in as simple a form as an FAQ. And if the answer is no, we don't have a list of the most important questions and we haven't gotten given the people, responsible people, the opportunity to get to the bottom of those questions, then we're a little bit out of sequence. And this is the number one you know, problem because we put too much expectation on a single meeting to do many things, to brainstorm, to, to explore, to get to the bottom of questions, to draw conclusions. That's just too much in one interaction, if that makes sense.
1: And so you find using this process of brainstorm first, be patient, Don't try and squeeze it all into one meeting. You can generally get the buy-in of the group along one aligned path through that process. So you play the role of investor advisor to a lot of different startups or have, right? Including Headspace, um, SpaceX. I think I've heard of them. 23 of me. I mean, those are really successful companies, right? So you play this role uh, a little bit of an advisor now to a lot of these folks. My question for you is actually, you know, kind of going back in time real quick. Who played that advisor role to you in your career that helped you formulate uh, who you are today and, and your procedure and, and your approach to business?
0: I would say that I am actually a compilation of a lot of different people. The way that my business career has unfolded is more where I, s- I noticed and observed something that I thought was very you know, special, a gift in in an individual leader, and I thought to myself, well... That would be a nice, you know, gift to have. And so, how do I bring a little bit of this person into me? For me, it's been far less of. Here's one or two people who have consistently been there as uh, mentors, so to speak, and more, you know, learning in line to seeing how they're operating in the real environment and saying, "Wow, that is, you know, that is something to work towards." You know, actually, have some recency bias here, but you know, (laughs) going back to, let's say, Volvo, where the CEO, uh, Hawkon Samuelson, uh, was just a very deeply curious person. Where he would not really worry too much about, well, how much time do we have left in this meeting, or you know, are we going to hit our our numbers? But more, if there was an important curiosity where that would kind of fill in the blank for him, so he could understand things well enough, you know, he he did hesitate to to ask those questions. So you know, curiosity from the CEO former CEO, although a very important thing, you know, rolling back to the CEO of McDonald's, who was the CEO when I first joined Don Thompson, just a charismatic person. It's very hard to be charismatic if you're that bored that way. And he, he was, and is, it's more like he just infected people with positivity. So there's some of that of like, okay, well building people up, you know, when I look at, you know, senior leaders at, at Amazon, I would say, well, hmm this person really always asks sort of the the right question, you know, like after hearing a fairly complex idea, putting their finger on sort of the one thing that would make or break the idea. So thinking twice, thinking a little bit deeper, trying to synthesize all the information to like, what does it really mean? These are some of the people I've observed sort of out in, in my career. So it's been a lot less of, here's one person who I can always call and have a hotline for what I'm going through and more of like, okay, well, what can I take from the environment around me?
1: I really like that approach. I mean, it's kind of what mentorship in, in some narrative is, which is finding people and their golden nugget. No one's perfect.
0: I think it's also a little bit in recognition that each individual does have some gaps as well. So you said, hmm, let me take this part of that person but not the other, because you, you you see that there, there are also flaws.
1: Yeah. Can we talk about all the bad parts of the people you just mentioned? I'm just kidding. Just...
0: <laughs> They're all the good parts.
1: They're all the good parts, right. <laughs> you know, we're called the Action Catalyst podcast in part because interviews and conversations are helping our audience of entrepreneurs and, and business owners and and people figure out how they can be action-oriented in their life. And, and so even your book is around this a little bit in decision-making and, and the team and alignment. On a personal level, what's a habit or practice that you have that saves you the most time each day or helps you be more efficient?
0: I always uh, give myself the luxury of, you know, focusing on one thing and being, you know, getting the most meaningful thing right now done as a win for the day. And when you take that mindset, you know, usually you get several things done, you know, you, you tend to get momentum in what you're trying to achieve.
1: Yes. Figuring out what that one thing
0: is right now, not from yesterday, because another mantra sort of I live by is like, what matters most now? And it could be, you know, different today than it was yesterday. And it's certainly not a function of what's the latest thing that came into your inbox or what's calling to, you know, what's biting at you more. It's not, you need to sort of like probably, uh, take a step back and really reflect like what, is the most important thing I can do right now for this team, for this organization in terms of my contribution. And then really just put a lot of uh, energy and concentration into that. Knock it out of the park. You know, if you get that one one thing done, it tends to create a lot of momentum because let's say you're a leader, it probably unlocks a bunch of other people to go do their thing, creates a lot of clarity for them. You know, if you're an individual contributor, it's still a huge contribution for your organization. It's something they probably need. And now that they have that, you know, three other things can happen. But really, by distilling that, something really important gets out the door. I mean, if one thing important can get out the door over the course of an entire week, that's that's quite a bit of contribution.
1: Yeah. And that almost sounds, to some degree, how your process helps organizations as well, that alignment principle of figuring out, helping the team figure out what that one thing is.
0: For sure. I mean, even when I talk about the mantra of exploration before alignment, as opposed to the other way around, it's like the order kind of matters. Because if you surface the right, you know, unknowns and you get your head around them, get the team's headspace around them, then they're going to the alignment's going to be easy. The decision making is going to be uh, easy as well. I've been in so many non-decision decision meetings where people look look at it like, wow, why did we have so much anxiety and think this was going to be hard? Well, they didn't really know that, you know, in the weeks leading up to it, we were doing the work in the right order. And we put so much, you know, concentrated effort into the exploration. We took all the pressure off the decision point.
1: Having some responsibility of of leading a team and dealing with some of the roadblocks that come with that from time to time, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book as well. So for our listeners out there, check it out, uh, Decision Sprint, The New Way to Innovate Into the Unknown. And move from strategy to action. Uh, to thank you so much for carving out a little window of time for us today and sharing some of your experience and how you came to some of these ideas. So uh, appreciate your time.
0: The pleasure to join you, Adam.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.